we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Greetings and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts. I'm Willow Truman. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And today I'd like to tiptoe by the window, through the window. That's that's where I'll be. Sequoia, would you tiptoe through the tulips with me? Sure. Good, because today we're going to be talking about one of the greatest eccentrics of our time, an actual fucking madman, a living okay. Tim Burton character, All right. a guy who was probably born a creepy old man, <laughs> Tiny Tim. Yeah, deal. Not the one from The Christmas Carol. I was going to say the only thing I know about him is he loves Christmas and he's going to die soon. <laughs> Yes. Uh, you know, God bless us, everyone. Tiny Tim's first album was called God Bless Tiny Tim. So, oh, really? You no, know, there's a... Obviously, that's where it comes from. No, I'll, we'll talk about where really? it came from. But okay. today, we're going to be talking about the Tiny Tim who played ukulele and wore adult diapers, not for medical reasons, mm. but because he was afraid of bathroom germs. You know, the, the tiny Tim who believed in an impending alien antichrist. Ooh. And despite assumptions many people may have made about his sexuality, the only man he was gay for was Jesus. Hmm. The only thing he loved more than Jesus was underage girls. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Balancing his obsessive oh, no. impulsive tendencies, his religious beliefs, and his sexual appetite was a lifelong challenge that we'll be getting into. Tiny Tim's probably known to today's younger audiences thanks to his song being used in the pilot episode of Spongebob and also in the horror movie Insidious, so it has some pop culture references. There's also that documentary that came out in 2020. I watched it today after writing the script. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because um, I didn't want it to influence my journey of Tiny Tim discovery. And boy, was it a journey. We're going to explore the character of Tiny Tim, a.k.a. Herbert Cowrie, through the lens of his three marriages, okay. potentially more than that, but it's fuzzy, uh, and his many romances. But first, we'll need to pull a tarot card to help guide us along this journey. Through the tulips. Yes. Yeah. It's another instance where I feel that culture has passed me by. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that much about Tiny Tim. Did you know anything other than like the song? That's it. That's the song I know. Do you know what he looks like? Yes, I do now. Would I have been able to pick him out of a lineup two weeks ago? Maybe not. Temperance. Okay. This is appropriate. All right. Very appropriate for the character of Tiny Tim. We'll talk about that at the end. It's one of my favorite cards. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Sweet. Had to go. We needed her so, but they needed 
<laughs> okay. Yo, what the fuck is a Tiny Tim, dude? Uh, yeah. Born Herbert Boutros Cowery, Tiny Tim was the only child of immigrant parents Boutros Cowery, a Lebanese Christian textile worker, Antilles staff, an Orthodox Jew from Russia who worked in the garment industry. Hold on. Hold your goddamn horse. Yeah, what? The only thing I knew about Tiny Tim was the first voice. A less he's extreme version of He's got a good singing it. voice, actually. He's, a, he's actually a very talented singer. And I was like... Kind of like the, Elvis. How the fuck did we ever find out about this? How do we ever know who Tiny Tim was? Oh. But then that second shit came in. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's why. Actually, like that went the from other being, way around. He was not noticed at all until he started singing with the high voice. Or as he called it, the sissy voice. Right, but if he didn't have... Both. If he didn't have both, I, I wouldn't want to hear he, about it. Yeah, no. <laughs> if he didn't actually have like something magical yeah, yeah. about him. So he was born and raised in New York City. He was born 1932. His parents, like I said, his mom's a Russian Jew. His dad's a Lebanese Christian. That's pretty a pretty uncommon pairing at the time, quite honestly. But his relationship with his parents, uh, it, it was not good. What year? He was born 1932. Okay. Yeah, he didn't have a good relationship with his parents. No. No, no, no. It, fact, that's not exactly a surprise to me. Yeah, they took care of him, but they they didn't really seem to know how to love him. And also, yeah. their room had no door. So he was subjected to just like, you know, feeling like he couldn't leave his room because yeah, yeah, he yeah. his parents having sex or he felt oh, like boy. he was entering like their private space. So he just would escape into his record collection, which was all oldies. He was very into music from like the 19, the 1890s through the 1930s. Interesting. And he would just lock himself in there and escape into his records. But one time his mom broke all of his records and his mandolin and she made him go out and stand in the rain for three hours. So his his parents were not about his his weird shit. They thought he was a fucking weirdo. And they would even ask themselves, like, why are you like this? Like, who in our family is like this? Like, why, why are you this way? And they just couldn't figure it out. Um, and they were mad at him for it. So he was regularly thrown out of the house. And he just started busking as a teenager. He would take his little instruments and he would stand with a sign that said, save classical music. So his parents are just pissed off at him, basically for being himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They find him obnoxious. And they don't think that he's ever really going to amount to anything, even though he's like, one day you're going to be in the front row of the Ed Sullivan show watching me perform. And they're like, yeah, okay, why don't you go stand in the rain a little bit, <laughs> Herbert? They tell him to go stand in the rain? Yeah, they would lock him out of the house. Oh, boy. So he would take his ukulele or his mandolin and he would go stand in the street and he would sing his little songs and people would toss him some money. People would also toss eggs at him oh. or um, beverages and, oh. uh, you know, call him names and basically verbally harass him. But he kind of gained a little bit of a reputation as as a busker, as a teenager. And this dude's already a cartoon character. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He ends up dropping out of high school just because, like, he knows that what he doesn't even want to live at his house anymore. He has it's a, a thing a whole, you do sometimes. He's got a, another life planned. Yeah. But this life is, it's confused by his relationship with Jesus. Hmm. Now his father suggested, like, Herbert, you're very weird. You should see a psychiatrist. And Herbert's like, Jesus Christ is my doctor. How old is he? 
He's probably like 14. Hmm. And he has OCD, right? Yeah. 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 So All right. Jesus Christ is his doctor. He doesn't need no psychiatrist. He's going to go to the Catholic Church instead. Yeah. Which is interesting because, like I said, his parents are a Jew and a Christian. So he's like, I'm going to go be a Catholic. I mean, yo, there's something. Look, as someone with OCD. Yeah. There is schizophrenia is equated with shamanism, right? Yep. A lot of times the equivalent to that is OCD is a cleric. Yes. Right. It's the, it, it is like OCD is the mental disorder of religiosity. It's one of the big fucking components of religiosity. Oh, and that factored into his life. a whole. Yeah. And there's a lot about Catholicism with its focus on sin confessional and shit that also ties into, um, classic OCD symptoms, right? Cleanliness. Well, um, intrusive thoughts, thinking you're a terrible fucking person, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's a big part of OCD. The, the absolute being just very convinced with the strongest arguments you've ever given anything you're the fucking worst person worst person in the world well they kicked him out of the catholic church because he's probably the worst person in the world he was probably right well because <laughs> the pastor said he should go see a psychiatrist yeah really yeah both his father and and so he was like fuck you dad i'm gonna go to the church church is my daddy now and then the pastor was like no but you should see a psychiatrist um that's a good that's a good priest. Yeah. What was he saying and doing that? Was he just like weird? People are like, hmm, there's something off with this guy. Yeah, definitely. But normally they'd say, come right on in. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's a. Well, he was kicked out for quote unquote being a smart Alec. Oh, he got kicked out for that. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And like I said, from a young age, he had an encyclopedic knowledge of songs from the early 20th century. He idolized crooners like Bing Crosby, Russ Columbo, and Rudy Valley, all three of whom were immortalized in the 1932 Looney Tunes cartoon, Crosby, Columbo, and Valley. To show the type of music that Herbert, Tiny Tim would immerse himself into, we're going to hear a little clip of a Rudy Valley song. And... I'm just, I included this specifically because of the way it begins, and you'll hear what I mean. I don't know why it's like this. What a strange thing. Yeah. What a strange song. Rudy Valley, Rudy Valley. Very weird. So a lot of the songs from this era are very romantic, like yearning after beautiful girls and talking about like the love and romance and that got completely enmeshed. That's wild. Dude, so this is 1929. Yeah. Right. So what you're looking at in that video, just because I think this is this, it's this operatic stage design. This, mm-hmm. like, Art Nouveau opera set with, like, this 
the way the different layers of the screen on the stage, the curtain, right, open and shit. Um, and then there's the bands just on this. I don't know. It looks like a cloud floating in a forest or some bullshit, mm-hmm. right? And then this dude just starts. He walks out in front with his saxophone tucked under his left arm, and he starts singing that fucking weird song. It's very dreamlike. It is. Incredible. Very ethereal. And it's also 1929, yeah. like well, right before the market. Tiny would shit. escape into it. He called it his like dream world. Yeah. And he had this whole dream world, this like imagination land that he would live in in his bedroom. And he had like stacks of magazines of the beautiful girls that he admired and like all of these artists um, and records. And he would imagine himself like as their friend in their life that he was going to perform that way someday. And he was so sure of it that he was like destined for stardom in some way. Yeah. Despite everybody telling him to the contrary. Yeah. Now. Fun fact about another one of his major influences, Russ Columbo. Russ Columbo's death, which is an interesting story unto itself, was kept- Russ Columbo? Yeah. I guarantee you the death of Russ Columbo is an interesting story. Oh, yes. It was kept a secret from his mother until her own death 10 years later. So for the last 10 years of his mom's life, she had no idea that her son was dead. What? The plot to keep her from discovering his death included fake letters. What? Fake phone calls. No. And even records to simulate his radio program. What? Yeah. Why? Because they thought that she wouldn't be able to handle it. You fucking monsters. Did she think it was normal that she just didn't see him in person you for 10 years? You fucking ghouls. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I just had to include that because I was like, what the fuck? Oh, I'm so uh, angry. In 1995. Six- Who do I kill for that? Russ Colombo. He's dead. That's the point. Yeah. And he's been dead this whole time. In 1995, 61 years after Russ Colombo's death, Tiny Tim would release an album dedicated to him titled Prisoner of Love, a tribute to Russ Colombo, which he recorded with the group Clang. Yeah, he's I have a clip of him talking about Russ Colombo's death, actually. And that's the thing about Tiny that I love. Tiny, he's tiny? He's tiny. All right. What's how tall? He, he's 6'1". He was not tiny. Fucking damn it. In fact, he was a large man. Um, But he was a walking encyclopedia of knowledge about like, you're like, how how does he even remember all of this shit? But he would just go in a very autistic manner. Just like, oh, you want to, you you didn't even ask, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go on a 25 minute spiel about Russ Colombo's death. So I don't know if it's that, like, I've never, I've never passed the test for autism. I've never been able to, to do it. Like, it's always like, yeah, you probably have ADHD, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I know that's not. But the fucking, the OCD shit, which I'm going to keep harping on because it's a thing people don't get what it is. Right. I I know exactly what's going on in this dude's head, right? Yeah. Um, but like, the thing is, here's how I can describe it. Your hard drive is so fast that it hurts you. Yes. <laughs> that's, yeah. You have instant access to everything. Mm-hmm. It has instant access to you, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's the OCD connection. He called his connection with the people and music of the past as feeling like he was a vampire sucking blood from the past. Yeah, every day. Yeah. Every fucking day. <laughs> so yeah, here's here's him displaying his um, encyclopedic knowledge with his knowledge of Russ Columbo's death. 
This is interesting. Let me tell you about Mr. Colombo. He was about 23 and 31 when he first came up. Very good looking, and he was supposed to be, uh, you know, a challenge to Mr. Crosby. And then in 1933, he became a, a little bit of an actor in a picture called Broadway Through a Keyhole with Walter Winchell. When people saw him, he was so good looking that they wrote letters to Hollywood wondering who was this handsome man, forgetting that he was on the radio in 1931, two years before. And that little bit part in that movie, Broadway Through a Keyhole, got him back into Hollywood uh, toward the end of 33, and they were starting to go crazy over Russ Colombo. He was Bing Crosby's only competitor. And then the tragic thing that happened in 1934 in August, Mr. Colombo was up at a friend's house in Hollywood. His friend was cooking dinner. And while Mr. Colombo was waiting, he was anxiously admiring the gun that was on the wall, this old antique pistol, which of course was supposed to have no bullets in it. And he, you know, cocked the trigger several times. Nothing happened, just fidgeting and waiting. And then all of a sudden, like magic, uh, some ancient ball inside the gun dislodged, was there for years and years, and bounced across the wall, and bounced back and hit him straight in the forehead. He was dead almost immediately. Uh, one of the most shocking tragedies since Jim, James Dean died uh, later on. May all rest in peace. But here's a man who died, he didn't even see the height of his career yet. He could have been another Valentino of song, but I'm gonna do a number for you now. It's suspicious. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't include any bits in my script, but it, it, Tiny did have some mob connections at one point. Interesting. Um, yeah. Which, you know, show business. I'm just going to say, maybe. Tiny Tim does not sound like how you expect him to fucking sound if all you know is tiptoeing through the tulips. He sounds like just like an old Jewish guy from New York, like telling you his stories. Yeah. Yeah, there's... Besides Tiny Tim, no one knew about. Oh, God. <laughs> um, another artist that Tiny was very inspired by was Arthur Godfrey, a.k.a. the old redhead. Let's hear a bit of the old redhead, please. All right. Come here, Galdern, you take that. And that. What? And that. What? What the fuck? Yep. What? That won't be relevant at all later when we talk about Tiny's treatment of his wives. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the old redhead, Arthur Godfrey, who we just heard, he played the ukulele, which in that's what inspired Tiny Tim to try out the ukulele for himself. Like, that's where it came from. And in addition to the ukulele, he got himself a guitar, a mandolin. What the fuck was that? <laughs> that's... That's old-fashioned America for you. Fuck all that. Fuck that. What the fuck, dude? Yeah, I'm so pissed. Is it a joke? I, I don't give a shit. It's 1947. That's. Can we hear a little more of it? Yeah, I don't... What the... Maybe they're talking about something completely... Maybe... Maybe... Who knows? I don't think so. Let's see. Let's find... Benefit of the doubt. We'll give them a minute they're and a half. They're talking about smacking women. I know. But, like, let's get the evidence. Wife smacking. Oh, Bob, tell us where she's been. 
We don't want our neighbors talking about our kids. Slap her down again. Pull slap her down again. Well, Pa and Ma were so darn sore, they woke me up one night. There what? was an awful cousin, and Ma said Pa was right. Oh, they no. was a waiting sister Bess who never kept her word. The sun came up as Bess came in, and this is what I heard. Yeah. It's um, worse than we feared. Right. <laughs> so Jesus Christ. By the way, this is a good point. Um to mention that his parents were very violent towards him as well. Oh, he would get beaten okay. quite often. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure he witnessed his mom getting some beatings too. So he really he this man did not know how to connect with people. Like it's he was a great performer, but when it came to one on ones, he was just kind of in his own little world all the time. Yeah, I mean it happens. Yeah, you know? like I understand that part. I don't understand the obsession with fucking that shit. Right. You know, but like... Those were his influences. Yeah. And I've, I thought that that was um, important to include. The difference, and this is where we'll have the, the... We can mark the divergence that Sequoia is not comparing him. He's not saying he understands scientific. <laughs> no. But I didn't, I didn't get hit. <laughs> um, also, during his teenage years, he had like a five-year-long romanticized friendship with this guy named Bobby Gonzalez. And he would write extensive diary entries about like... What? He... He would love to go to the gym with Bobby and like be his punching bag. There was also a time where Bobby slept over the house and Tiny gave him a massage. And then his his dad mm. walked in and saw that Bobby was like sleeping in the bed and was like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Um, huge punishment for that. So he kind of just like laid that to rest. He would be he said a lot of homophobic things in his life, but he also like defied um he was very ambiguous in his sexuality. Also, in his gender expression, he would lean into like singing girlishly and he would even get a job at like a lesbian club at one point. So he was part of like the counterculture, but he also rejected this idea of like, I'm not gay, that's a sin. Because and I, I wonder if that had to do with that really severe beating and punishment. Yeah, maybe, you know, like because then that's like that's the last you saw of Bobby never hung out with him again. Yeah, oh yeah, he repressed you know? he repressed something fucking deep there. Yeah. So he he didn't like talking about those experiences of his. He said that he he vaguely mentions that he had a homosexual experience and it, it left him with lifelong questions about whether or not that made him gay or not. He was just confused. He was probably bisexual, really. Yeah. And also had a proclivity towards underage women. So, yeah, I imagine he walked around feeling a lot of shame and repressed guilt, and he had to pray a whole bunch all the time because he... And clean himself a lot, too. He would take four showers a day and then spend an hour and a half cleaning his bathroom. This too. shit's all fucked up, And, of up, course, man. like, the bathroom has to do with genitals, right? It's like a place where you... Yeah. Going to the bathroom have to do with your private parts. And he, right. he has a lot of weird shit having yeah. to do with sexuality and his religion. So it makes sense that he needs to clean and clean the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you should have gotten this guy some fucking mushrooms, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No. Instead, he, he drops out of high school, sophomore year, and he starts you know, performing around parties in the Bronx. And he develops a reputation under the name Larry Love. And Tiny would have a number of pseudonyms throughout his life because he believed changing a name was like changing luck. Like he was not attached to Herbert Cowrie. Okay. 
And from 1950 to 1953, he would perform at various amateur nights at a number of clubs in New York, New Jersey. But he never would win until one night where, like, he had this this vision. He said God spoke to him and told him to sing in a different voice from his <laughs> pleasing baritone. So, That's, all right, I'm gonna say, I, I, I probably understand that too much. Yeah. <laughs> God said you got to switch it up. Yeah. So. On, on this particular evening, after he received that message at the old Alliance Club amateur night, Tiny sang, You Are My Sunshine, in his now signature trembling falsetto voice, and he took second place. And he wrote in his diary that day, Praise the blessed Lord Jesus. They screamed, I must sing the sissy way. God told me to sing the sissy way. <laughs> So yeah, people are going crazy for him and he develops wow. like this reputation as Larry Love. And now he would also need um, cop escorts usually at his performances sometimes because things would get out of hand. What? Because people hated him. He was very, <laughs> people fucking hated I him. Under, I, I understand. They thought that he was just like a sideshow freak. Yeah. And it also didn't help that he literally worked at what They're was- still throwing fucking milkshakes at him. Yeah. So there is this place in um, Times Square called Hubert's Museum and Live Flea Circus. And it was like a like a freak show. You could go there. You could see an armless woman play the piano with her feet. And like there's all, right. all sorts of different people. 1958 freak show. Yeah. A little late in the game, but they're still doing it. I'm they hire Tiny Tim, but he's performing as Larry Love, the singing canary. And he's singing in his high voice. And it's his job like to be gawked at, to be laughed at, because the people going through this museum are going there like to laugh at the performers. And he be loved like, oh, being right. a punching bag, though. Yeah, he did. He got him off. How? <laughs> he he just wanted the attention. Fucking weird guy, man. Uh, yeah. Would you mind reading this entry from his diary in 1957? I didn't know where else to include this, but I just I thought it was an interesting window. Into yeah, for sure. I saw three psychiatrists at the medical center who suggested I go to Bellevue Hospital. They did not say if I went, if, if it would have meant I stayed there. But for the good Lord's grace, I did not go. I told them about how I believed in Christ, his sweet blessed mother, his church, my instruction in Catholicism, my beliefs in not kissing or dancing with girls until marriage for Jesus' sake, that is. I, that is, I believe it to be an occasion to sin. My poetry writing to girls, wrestling in my younger age with sperm falling... Yeah, I have questions about that. What? That never get resolved. He, I mean... Boomed everywhere while wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My diet, that is, my food eating, hairstyle, cleansings, etc., all of which my folks find funny. Yeah. So everybody mm. agreed, like, the, the boy ain't right. The boy ain't right. I'm gonna agree also the boy ain't right. He very much defied what it meant to be a man in the 1950s. I think that it's important to acknowledge that he kind of paved the way for androgynous rock stars. Nah. Nah. No, really. I think he was kind of the first to like... Was he before Bowie? Yeah. 50s. You're, yeah, 50s. Yeah, okay. 60s. His career really pops off in the All 60s. Right. So he's... And like I said, he was fucking hated. He needed escorts like to keep him from harm's way because people really wanted to hurt him just for like sure. acting girlish. So... For Let's not for acting like Tiny Tim. Yes, man. At, so he left Hubert's Flea Circus mm. in 1960, changes his name to Derry Dover for a little bit, gets a job at Cafe Bazaar in Greenwich Village. He works two nights a week 
$10 a night. That job only lasts about a month, but other gigs in the village soon follow. And his manager at the time, a guy named George King, renames him from Derry Dover to Sir Timothy Timms. Where the fuck are we? We're in New York in the 1960s. I guess. This is a ridiculous play. This is a cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> so George King tries to rename him Sir Timothy Timms and tells him to talk with a British accent. But he, like Tiny can't quite get the British accent down. So George King renames him to Tiny Tim as a joke about how he's actually tall and big. Right. Yeah. His next significant gig is at the Lesbian Club, page three, 1963. And his versions of I Feel Pretty and I Enjoy Being a Girl would bring the house down. Now, I Enjoy Being a Girl was one of the numbers that would get him infamy because this was pretty outrageous for the time. Here's a, a man singing yeah. in like a, this very high voice about how he likes being a girl. And he's also very ambiguous like hmm is he gay what what is going on here maybe he did open roads i'm just gonna say it's not necessarily the road builder i'd <laughs> hang the hat on you know it worked his act at the club consisted of four numbers three would be in his high voice and then he would perform a duet with himself using his baritone i mean that's like that's sick yeah I have a clip of him doing a duet with himself. You are now a little duet with myself. <laughs> come, come, I love you only, my heart is true. it's a different experience if you're looking at him like i am it is it it's yeah yeah man I, you know what dude this man's a pervert oh yeah an unrepentant <laughs> pervert I, this like has. yeah so he stays at page three until the police shut it down in 1965 and that same year he decides that he's going to start hanging out at this place called The Scene. And it was The Scene. This is the place where if you were like a famous musician, you went and hung out in New York. Like, so he goes there and he's actually hired for three months. At first, everybody there thinks that he's kind of just this homeless guy that wandered off the street. But then they realize, no, he's he's for real. Um, oh, he'll he'll work for no pay. Cool. So he gets hired and he works there for no pay for three months. Um, but it works out for him because he starts getting noticed. He starts making friends like Andy Warhol notices him. Bob Dylan wants to make a movie about the circus starring Tiny Tim, but it never gets off the ground. But he was like besties with Bob Dylan for a little bit. Huh. So all of a sudden he goes from being like this nobody recluse 
who people throw shit at on the side of the street to Bob Dylan wants to make a movie about him. Like people think that he's cool because he's unique. He's just doing some crazy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, nobody's ever seen anything like him. I mean, he did it. Yeah. So this is the point where um, Reprise Records wants to sign him and send him over to Hollywood. And that's the same record company that Frank Sinatra's on. He gets on the Merv Griffin show. He starts doing radio performances. Um, he even gets a small part playing himself in a documentary called You Are What You Eat from 1968, produced by Peter of uh, Peter, Paul and Mary, the music group. And that's actually the documentary where Tiny Tim gets signed from. So he does like he does this movie, right? Because he's now friends with Peter and he's friends with all these people in the music industry. Is he friends with Paul? He better be. I don't know. <laughs> Mary fucking hates him. Yeah. Um, so Mo Austin comes in, an executive for Warner Brothers Reprise Records, to see Tiny Tim's act one day and immediately signs him. It's like, buddy, you're in. Did he like, did he sell his soul to the devil or something? Is that what we're looking at? Is it one of those? People just thought he was interesting. They liked to be around him because he was an oddity. Yeah, he must have had, he must have actually had some good charisma one on one. Oh, absolutely. I'm actually going to read a little bit from George Schlatter, who was the creator of Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. Okay. It's like one of the big shows of the Yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. And it's part of um, his appearance on Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, Tiny Tim's appearance. That would really launch his career that in combination with his record being released but this is george schlatter's introduction to tiny tim he says i'll never forget the day i met him it was january 1968 tim had appeared in some small clubs in the east but was totally unknown we were in the midst of preparing for our first taping of rowan and martin's laughing and the show had not yet gone to air but the word was out that it might be a big hit the intensity of the public reaction to the preview special with its new format was taking its toll. We had to live up to the hype. We were working 24-7 and had not yet settled into a groove, so we were under intense scrutiny by the network. We were deep into an intense writer's meeting when Digby Wolf interrupted and asked if he could introduce me to someone. I said, not right now, we're in the middle of an emergency. Hell, the whole first show was an emergency, but Digby said, I'm sorry, I must insist. He walked into the office with Richard Perry, who was a well-known record producer and executive at Warner Brothers Records. They introduced me to Tiny Tim. Tim was dressed head to toe in wrinkled plaid polyester. He had a shopping bag, out of which he took a paper bag, out of which he took a beat-up ukulele. He immediately began to play the ukulele, singing in a falsetto voice and blowing kisses to everyone. I don't remember ever having been more blown away, stunned, and hysterical. I wasn't sure if it was cruel to laugh at him, but I could not help myself. Within a few seconds, we realized, despite our laughter, Tim was enjoying this as much as we were. This man was unquestionably a star. So yeah, NBC wasn't really sure, but George and all the other people, like the record producer, they're like, no, we must get this man on television. We need him on Rowan and Martin's laugh. And we need him on like the one of the first episodes. They just couldn't. They couldn't say no. They couldn't say no. They, they, when you have 
such a diamond in the rough like that. I think it's more has to do with shock. Yeah, no, it <laughs> absolutely does. That's the thing. Like, if he hadn't allowed himself to get made fun of, he never would have been famous. That's true. Yeah. He wouldn't have gained the infamy that he did. You're right. That is, uh, you know what? That is a deal with the devil. Yeah. <laughs> I have a clip of his, um, but I, I have a clip of um, his first appearance on Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In to give you an idea of like how the host reacts to him, how the audience reacts to him. Yeah. How do people take this in? Yeah. People love it. The host is like making all sorts of yeah. wild facial expressions. I mean, what like, the? Can you believe this guy? It's Where'd he come from? Can you believe that guy though? Because I can't. That's fucking absurd. That's an absurd thing to do. Yes. You're not going to believe this. Okay. From the months of November to February, wherever he stayed, because he would just like live in hotel rooms basically, his floors would be covered in walnut shells because he wanted to be like a squirrel. So he would eat a lot of walnuts in the winter. Like I, I do get where he's coming from on that one. He's just—he's a—he's a, an enigma. He's a series of contradictions. Like, what do you mean there are walnut shells all over the floor? It's kind of fucked up. I don't like how. Uh, uh, I, I don't. I know exactly what he's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so after his appearance on the show, um, he—he's getting booked for all sorts of shows, and the fan mail about him is abundant. All sorts of people like it's the most fan mail that these shows receive about any of their guests. It's usually negative. Sometimes it's very positive. His most significant television appearance in furthering his career, however, was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. After his initial appearance in April 1968, his first album, God Bless Tiny Tim, sold more than 200,000 copies and the single, Tiptoe Through the Tulips, became a hit. He also became a favorite guest on the show, appearing like once every seven weeks. So the ratings were great when he was on. Game recognized game, man. I don't know. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, how, bro, I mean, you know what? He did the damn thing. <laughs> you do the damn fucking thing. You find find your mark and you, and you fucking nail it. That's just what you got to do. Right. Yeah. So on one of those occasions while he's on the, the Tonight Show, Johnny asks him, like, so are you seeing anybody lately? And Tiny's like, yeah, I'm in a relationship. We're thinking about getting married. Johnny's like, would you be willing to get married to your child bride on my show? Like, we could do the whole wedding. You see, the 37-year-old Tiny Tim mm -hmm. was in a relationship with a 17-year-old mm. named Victoria Buttinger. Oh, what the fuck? A.K.A. Miss Vicky. They had met at a, a book <laughs> signing, and he got her parents' permission. Bro. Always got to get the parents' permission. I don't give a fuck. They give me bad parents, dude. Oh, God, I know. Like, you know what I mean? like, fuck that. Fuck that. The thing is... He was emotionally stunted as fuck. When it came yeah. to like having a crush on girls, he would act like a child. Like he yeah. would run into a room and be like, oh, oh, I just miss Cleo, miss Cleo. And like Miss Cleo. Yeah, that was one of them. And he would not like kick his not the Miss Cleo. No. Was it the Miss Cleo? No. <laughs> <laughs> Different one. Call me now, Tiny Tim. <laughs> right. Just hours on the phone. Uh, that'd be a fun conversation. Yeah. No, she wasn't hot enough for him. That's the thing. Like he would, when he would talk to 
his fans, he would be like, are you attractive? Are you thin? <laughs> he was such, he had, he didn't know that he was being a fucking asshole. I think because, he knew. Yeah. He fucking, he has, this man has no moral scruples. That's the thing too. He's got no scruples. People treated him with kid gloves because they didn't know how to take him. Yeah, dude's a fucking predator, dude. Yeah. He's also, a killer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's, you don't fuck with that. That dude's yeah. a predator. Like, uh, aw. See, that, that, whether he knew it or not, that was what he was doing. Mm-hmm. You know? So, Tiny agrees that he will marry his teenage bride on The Tonight Show. Fucking disgusting. And here's um, Tiny Tim recounting that conversation with Johnny. And this is taking place on the Morton Downey Jr. show. I mean, like, I'm sh- I'm sure it, that was legal then. I don't care. That, no. Oh, it's super fucked up. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's like kind of why we're talking about Yeah, it's, that's super fucked up. And that's f- super fucked up. Johnny, Johnny, what are you doing, Johnny? Come on now. Well, first of all, uh, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Carson asked on a, on September 17th or 18th, 1969. It was a cold out of the blue question. Yeah, he, he asked. Uh, in fact, uh, one of my fans, Mr. Giannopoulos, has it on tape, uh, on cassette tape, where he asked us on September 18th or 17th in New York, where he did a show, it, where we're going to get married. And I said, well, I, I'm going to marry her uh, in Haddonfield, New Jersey, around Christmas time. And he thought for a minute and he said, well, uh, would you like to do it on our show? He said, we'll pay the bill. We'll take care of her, of her wedding gown. I said, gee, to myself, I said, gee, I'd look great in, in front of her mother. And uh, she was only 17. And I said, sure, I'd love to do it. How old were you at the time? Well, I was near 40. Jesus fuck. Well, near 40 doesn't mean you weren't too far from 52. No, no, I was near 40. Uh, no. 1968 that happened? Uh, 69, December 17. Uh, well, no, I was really near 40. I was really near 40. Yeah, you were near yeah. 40. Okay. <laughs> Did you As if think, that makes it better. Uh, it would ever work out that marriage? Yes. I always Why? thought, I told Miss Vicky before the marriage, uh, before we even got engaged in August of 19... Uh, He's got these crazy exaggerated movements with everything he says. Oh, yeah, he does. So in a move that would cement his infamy forever, well, at least for a moment in time, Tiny's first wedding took place live on The Tonight Show on December 17th, 1969 to Miss Vicky. And the spectacle surrounding the event made it the second most watched moment in television history ever at the time right behind the Apollo 11 moon landing. This was a huge fucking thing. An unprecedented amount of people between 40 to 45 million tuned in to see this strange singer who everybody assumed was gay and the lovely young woman, girl really, that he'd somehow convinced to marry him. It was just like... It's madness. It was a cultural moment. And this was before yeah. reality TV, too. So Tiny Tim was kind of like America's collective reality TV at a time when things were very stressful, too. He was almost like the comic relief for America. He saw his line and yeah. he was able in any given situation to choose the thing, the option that tracked with that line. So Stone Cold Killer. Here's Hilarious some- way to do it, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Here's some YouTube comments to highlight what a cultural phenomenon it really was. To do them in different voices? You have to. This happened when I was a kid. I remember my father had to get up at 4.30 a.m. to go to work. He stayed up to watch this. We were all shocked at that because he never stayed up past 10 p.m. on a weeknight. 
I was ten years old at the time. My mom knew how much I wanted to see this. She woke me up and we watched it together. I had to go back to bed because I had school the next day. Ah, oh, a British immigrant living in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, every non-American character I ever do moved to America when they were five. Yeah. That's just, I'm just going to say that. That's how we're calling it. I don't know what I'm going to do for this one, though. Do your regular voice. <laughs> that's what I was going to do. <laughs> I also remember watching this live. It was a school night and I was supposed to be in bed, but I snuck out into the hallway to see it. When the ceremony was over and they went to join Johnny, I snuck back to bed. I don't think my parents knew because nothing was mentioned the next morning. Yeah, so lots of people like staying up late past their bedtime, sneaking to go watch it. Like parents who usually go to bed yeah. are like staying up That's late wild. to watch it. What? Because, you know, it, it's also before you could really record things and then watch them later. There's no on demand. Right, right. So you, you better catch it live. I'm just like, it's wild how they all knew about him. I mean, like Johnny Carson. Yeah. So, yeah, he was he was on Johnny Carson often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now, what people didn't know is that the famous wedding itself nearly didn't take place because Tiny had been experiencing cold feet. He feared that by taking marriage vows, he might be making a promise to God that he wouldn't be able to keep. He feared that their love story would end in disaster because she had expectations <laughs> of him that he couldn't live up to. And he was right. Yeah. Before we talk about how their relationship ended, how did the love story between Tiny and Miss Vicky really begin? Well, like pretty much all of his romances, it began at one of his gigs, a book signing this time, when he saw her in the audience. And for him, it, it was love at first sight. Okay. She was so pure, so innocent. Jesus, so, fuck. So teenage. God damn it. She was a perfect angel and he fell for her instantly. In a conversation with his manager, Stephen Plim, he said... So fucking gross. What the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, in the beginning, it was wonderful. Simply wonderful. She was my dream girl, and I was every bit the gentleman. Romantic dinners, lovely dates. At first, I did not even try to kiss her, although I would sometimes tremble. I wanted her so badly. Mm. For what seemed an eternity, Mr. Plin, the most I dared to do was hold her hand and stare into her eyes. Then she began to speak to me about her dreams of a white picket fence. Oh, my lord. She even imagined me outside mowing the lawn and shoveling snow. Me. Can you imagine? Yeah. So Vicky is imagining a normal husband. She's imagining yeah. them, like living in a house together, her cooking dinner, having kids. Sure. But Tiny's a traveling musician from another planet. Yeah. Who preferred to live in a different hotel every week. And she didn't really love that. So she starts yeah. just kind of hanging back at home more while he's on the road. And he fears that although he loved her... She was going to be in for a sore letdown once they really got to know each other because she's expecting, again, this white picket fence, this normal husband, this like family man. And he he doesn't know anything about that. Yeah. What a normal family is, how to be a, a father, how to be a husband. And he needed to make sure that she was really serious about marrying him. Play this clip. I told Miss Vicky before the marriage, uh, before we even got engaged in August of 1969 in the Steel Pier when I was, I was there for about a week. Down in Atlantic I, City. Yeah, I, I said to her that uh, if we marry, I don't believe in birth control. I mean, marriage is only for children here. You don't have to marry me. But if you're, if you're lying, there's a higher source that knows about it. No, 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 I want to marry you. I, I, you know, okay, fine. I said. But you I, knew you were dealing with a 17-year-old who maybe didn't have the greatest cognitive reasoning in the world. 
true, but you know, if they know how to eat, if they, know, if they know how to pick up a glass, they know when they're doing wrong. Age means nothing. I mean, uh, uh, I married the second bro. one. Yeah, okay. Bro, bro. Dude. What the fuck? Dude. dude. Fuck this dude. I know. I'm so glad I waited to watch Fuck that documentary because it painted such like a flowery image of him and totally yeah. skated over all of like the, the Fuck bad this shit. dude. Fuck this guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Did That's you catch that bad. bit about birth control by the yeah. way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiny, he didn't like having sex with women on birth control because he believed that God forbade sex unless it was for making babies. So sex on birth control is a sin. But he, he also really didn't want to have any babies because he knew he couldn't be a father. What the so, fuck? You know what his method was? Yeah. He would use the pray to God method. So you just, you just pray and hope they don't get pregnant? Yeah. Seems to have worked. He only ever had one kid. So Tiny was worried what would happen once, you know, him and Jan were married and they were sharing a marital bedroom when they really spent nights together and she knew what it was like to be around him all the time. Once she figured out that he had a problem with premature ejaculation mm. or how he slept with all of the lights on, fully dressed, often wearing a tie. Yeah, of, of, of course. Yeah. His fucking... He never figured out how to downregulate his sympathetic nervous system. Or maybe was, how would she react when she learned that after each of his four daily showers, he refused to dry his body off with anything except for bounty paper towels? What the fuck? If she wanted a man who could mow the lawn, he knew that she ought to be looking elsewhere. But he was too confused to think straight because... Here's the most beautiful woman on earth, the perfect angel, the love at first sight. There was also the allure of national publicity and getting married to her. There was his agents and managers shouting in his ear. It was all just so much for him. And he also questioned, could he really restrict himself to one woman? Would she be able to put up with him? Because who would want to have sex with him more than once? That's something he, he honestly questioned. And yet... When that fateful day came and the cameras were rolling, they both said, I do. It's the worst decision I've ever heard in my life. Um, the whole yeah. thing. The whole thing. It's a, mm. Yeah, Miss, Miss Vicky kind of regrets it, too. Yeah, no, you don't, you think? Mary and Tiny Tim on the Johnny Carson show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't even need to know he was a fucking piece of shit to know that'd be a regretful decision. Oh my god. Can we experience some of the televised wedding? Yeah, of course. So I didn't timestamp that link, but it starts at 10.51. My goodness. And now here's the, uh, the moment you've been waiting for, which a lot of people thought uh, would not come to pass on this show, but it did. Congratulations, signing. Thank you, Mr. Carson. And Vicki, you look just as pretty as brides uh, always look. Thank you. I watched you this afternoon a little bit. And, uh, it's a fucking a little, teenager, uh, dude. A little concerned, but uh, it came off very well. I thought it was a lovely ceremony. And uh, incidentally, it was performed by uh, Reverend William Glenesque, and they told me uh, just before backstage that you both had a hand in the writing of the vows, which a lot of couples are doing nowadays. Yeah, and what we, you wanted to say to each other. No, yeah, we had a slight hand. I think that's very nice. How do you feel? Well, I really feel great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, typical so bride, young guy. Yeah. There's a very awkward moment where Johnny Carson is like, 
oh, I didn't even get to kiss the bride. And then Tiny like grabs Vicky's hand and kind of like pulls it in the direction of of Johnny Carson as if to like offer her hand for him to kiss. But then Johnny gets up and walks around and kisses her on the face instead. This is fucked. I include the clip. This is all fucked. This is on TV. This is 45 million people watching it and like there's nothing wrong with this question mark dude keep fucking people are surprised that how does miss vicky up. feel about this yeah honestly it's like getting kiss raped this whole thing yeah this whole thing is such a fucking Tiny, violation I didn't get to kiss the bride is, is that all right oh oh <laughs> did you i mean would you oh, no i mean oh, it's, it's this is terrible <laughs> this is terrible Okay, and then Johnny proposes a champagne toast, but then quickly realizes that Vicky is 17. So yeah, she's not a freakle. So he age. takes her drink, and instead, Tiny and Vicky have glasses of milk with honey as their mm-hmm. toast, and Tiny goes on a huge spiel about how this this is the, the good type of honey. And does his... Oh, God, it's very awkward. And then he performs a song for his blushing bride. Watch her face during this. Is she into this? Or does she hate it? Let me be worthy of the beautiful, beloved Miss Vicky. Oh, won't you come and love me? Oh, pretty Vicky mine. Oh, won't you come and love me? She hates it. She fucking hates it. Well, of yeah. course she does. I mean, imagine that, like, that's, that turns out to be your wedding. There's fucking, like, multicolored Lego walls behind them right. and shit. Johnny Carson staring they, at you in the fucking face. Right, the ceremony ends, and then you walk over 20 feet to the to the set of the Johnny Carson. Like, what like, the it's crazy. fuck? So they did not consecrate their marriage that night. Consummate? Or consecrate? Consummate. Consummate, like, yes. Johnny Carson consecrated it. Oh, yeah, it was, it was consecrated, all right. Tiny was afraid to consummate the marriage because he had a problem with the gun going off before the trigger was pulled. All it would take is like a passionate kiss or like a wrestle, apparently. Jesus. And just boom, it would go off. Please read a passage from um, Life as We Knew It, the story of Tiny Tim and Mr. Plim. After the ceremony, he surprised Miss Vicky by insisting on a seven-day preparation period before sharing the marital bed. During those seven days, he prayed, meditated, and became spiritually ready. Unfortunately, at the end of the allotted time, Tiny gave the green light for his bride to jump into bed, and it was all over in two seconds. Reflecting on that night, Tiny had this to say. You're really making me do this. Yeah, I am. That's what this episode is about, baby. All right. As soon as I was on top of her, I started shaking head to toe. How I even managed to enter her without exploding, (laughs) I will never know. That was it for me. Within two seconds, maybe three at most, it was over. I let out a gasp of air and looked down at my lovely new wife to see her reaction. She had her eyes wide open and looked at me with a half smile and asked, Are you having fun, dear? Yeah, that would become like an inside joke between Tiny Tim and his manager, Mr. Plim, where like every now and then they would just look over at each other and go, Are you having fun, dear? Just as a joke about his... um impotence wow yeah miss vicky was not thrilled with his sexual performance which is exactly what tiny had feared so he tried to keep his wife satisfied supplement with toys but ultimately his wife was left unfilled and unfulfilled yeah dude he's got all these fucking weird rules he's got all this shit 
the other parts of their marriage were disappointing too yeah um he loved to travel and she preferred to be at home and when he was at home he would just spend his time practicing music instead of giving her the children that she desperately wanted and saw in their future until one day he managed to plant enough of his seed to grow a flower tiny and miss vicky had no. a daughter and named her tulip fuck unfortunately um the singer was completely and utterly indifferent to his daughter and when his manager and friend Stephen plim the mr plim tried to get him to explain himself on this matter like why the fuck do you not seem to care about your daughter at all he became so strange and squeamish that the topic was abandoned never to be brought up again there's a in the documentary i watched today tulip is in it a little bit and yeah, she's pretty embarrassed that he's her father, actually. Yeah, I can she imagine. Really, because also she grew up with her mom telling her all these stories about him, about how he's like doesn't have the capacity to love. He doesn't right. care about them, and like, yeah, they were kind of left to fend for themselves while he was this performer. He's, yeah, he's a fucking psychopath, dude. Yeah. So he has a daughter named Tulip. Doesn't he? Again, he doesn't know how the fuck to be in a family. Right. To be a family man. He's just a performer. He's a like. Yeah. He knows how to be a clown. Yeah. So he performs at the um, the Isle of Wight Festival, which is a rock festival with like the Who, the Doors, Joni Mitchell, other superstars, 1970. But after this, this is like the height of his career. And now his stardom kind of starts to wane. 1971, he's only booked on The Tonight Show twice. And his next appearance on The Tonight Show wouldn't be until 1974. And it, this was labeled a, a charity booking you know, like they yeah. just kind of felt bad for the guy. His personal life was also changing. At this time, um, Tiny lost his management because he, he didn't like people telling him what to do. He would have falling outs with people in his life constantly. Yeah. So his next managers decide that they're going to try to package him and Miss Vicky together and have them go on all sorts of shows to perform together, which leads to a bunch of very, very awkward performances because Vicky... It adds a layer of humor to it that is almost even better than Tiny Tim alone because Vicky's no singer and she's also very uncomfortable on stage visibly. Yeah. So to see them perform together is really quite something. There were also rumors that Vicky was unfaithful to Tiny because he's traveling around. Right. He's also unfaithful to her. He doesn't really seem to care much about the infidelity. What he cared more about the day that it was over for good between them was when he saw Miss Vicky, his precious innocent Miss Vicky, naked in a girly magazine. <laughs> you know, so on one hand, he did accept responsibility that like his sexual dysfunction was the reason their marriage failed ultimately. No, he well, that, was the reason. He, and everything else. He was the reason for both his sexual dysfunction and the marriage failing. Right. So he's like... How dare she express her sexuality in this way? How dare she receive money for selling her body? This is a disgrace to God. How dare she have agency over yeah, herself? Right. Yeah. So he prays to God that God is going to forgive her of her sins for posing in this magazine. And he also prays to God that she would ask for a divorce so he didn't have to because he can't. That's a sin to divorce. But if she gets it and the state of New Jersey enacts it, then he he's not getting a divorce. It's the state of New Jersey doing it. Yeah. They'll do it, though. Yeah. <laughs> they do get divorced in 1977. But before they do, I mentioned this briefly earlier. This is when he signs a contract with the mob, 
also gets like the FBI on his tail a little bit because they're trying to figure out like, who is this guy? What are his connections to all these people? He's... What's he doing with the mob? They're controlling him, basically. What? They're completely controlling him. At, at a certain point, his friends like kind of need to kidnap him away from them. And Whoa. A whole big... I don't... It, there was not enough content on it. Gotcha. Yeah. I would have liked more. But his mobster management says to him, like, you got to get rid of Jan. Oh, it was probably his management that had mob connection. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, gotcha. And all of these, like, venues that he's performing yeah, in Atlantic yeah, City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because he's getting the shows at mob-controlled venues. Right. They're like, paying that's, for his hotel room. He's the novelty act where gambling is. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So they want him to get rid of Jan. And they keep filling his head with, like, oh, she's just using you for your money and your status. She doesn't actually love you. Wait, who's Jan? Oh, not Jan. Uh, Vicky. Vicky, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're filling his head with all the stuff about Miss Vicky and how she's just using him, how she doesn't really love him. Right. And it's yeah, they, they end up getting divorced. After which point, he cuts off all contact with Tulip. Just like basically never sees her, because in his heart, God, music, and the audience were his first loves and always would be. And that's it. Like people, human connections. He understood infatuation and lust and crushes right. and like to be giddy over the image of someone. But yeah. when it came to actually having a loving partnership where two people like. Oh, he couldn't. He he couldn't make himself truly vulnerable. No. There, the layer he was the, the layer of punching bag was between him and true vulnerability. And that was a, a really big shell. That was that was a hard shell um, that he couldn't actually get. Yeah. Now, after their divorce, he would like to joke with audiences sometimes. Uh, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I haven't received applause like that since the day I announced to Miss Vicky's friends and family that we were getting a divorce. So he like made a joke of it. But it really like, it, it's really not a joke. It's not a fucking joke. <laughs> it's, it's not a fucking joke. It, like you had a whole ass daughter named. Yeah. Like, did, did you ever think about her when you sang the song, Mr. Tim? Yeah. So... This is Morton Downey Jr. grilling Tiny about his marriage to Miss Vicky and his abandonment of Tulip. I was sitting in a restaurant uh, just a few months ago, and a lady walked up to me and she said, uh, Mort, I always watch your show. I listen to your radio show. And I listen to you with Tiny Tim on. What do you think of Tiny Tim? I said, I think he's a wonderful, decent, kind-hearted oh, human being. I think uh, he's really been given a short stick. She said, well, my name is Victoria something, and she explained her name. And it wasn't until about five minutes in the conversation I realized she was Miss Vicky. And she had sought me out. And she talked to me about your daughter, Tulip, about her, and about the fact that uh, you weren't there for Tulip to help Tulip uh, be raised. You weren't there financially. And uh, that she felt uh, she had been put through an awful lot in life. And I said to her, well, you know, did you get any benefits out of it? And she said, yes, I guess I met a lot of people that I wouldn't have met before. Were you abusive during that marriage at all? I only once oh boy. was trying. I, I could, have lost, uh, could have lost my temper and hit her once. Fuck you, uh, dude. Uh, that was my Listen to the reason. But that was because before we married, she knew what Jesus Christ meant, that I didn't believe in cheating. Fuck I didn't you, believe dude. in anything of fooling around. She was fooling around with me in 71. She left me in 72 with a male model. 
who's now the uh, publicity man for the limelight in New York, the disco. Mm -hmm. She left me. Uh, there was a letter from somebody in Bermuda, some man she met when we played there, uh, who, who wrote to her without my knowing, and she had committed adultery before the marriage. Then one day I had a date to meet, and I'll tell you who it was, to, to go to Cindy Adams and Joey Adams' place. She, I, I wanted her to go there so that she could see them. Cindy, she, a wonderful person. Oh, God bless her. Both wonderful people. And definitely she was ready to go, and then she changed her mind. I said, you're changing your mind now. You're embarrassing me in front of her. You're ready to go. They're waiting for you. And yet you went and left me for two, for, for this guy here a couple of years ago. And now you're doing that because I need you. I said, you son of a gun, you. I mean, this is an embarrassment now to myself, but to Miss Adams. She didn't want to take the chance to even do that. So basically, of course, I get angry. There. I, I mean, uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I think I was a little justified. Fuck the, you. The, the woman committed adultery on me, and I still wouldn't divorce her because I don't believe in divorce. She got a divorce. Because yeah. Of of Fuck you, dude. Whoa. Listen dude, to the way he just like excuses it. That's too. fucking evil, dude. Yeah, it's like, well, then get fucking divorced then. I don't know. What He's the like, fuck? No, I, I don't give a shit. One, you don't fucking hit people that you that you love. You don't fucking do right. that. You don't fucking do that. Two, you don't fucking hold shit. The shit in the past is not justification for shit you're doing in the present. Ever. Right. Ever. You know? Like, that's... Yeah, this dude's a piece of shit, man. It's just like, I don't know, so very against every... Very low every, emotional intelligence. Every moral code that I have is just recoiling. Yeah. So, um... Which is fucked because, like, I understand what he was getting at when he was trying to eat the walnuts to be a squirrel for the winter. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I mean, wearing his depends just so that he doesn't have to clean the toilet. Because he, every time he uses the toilet, Jesus he has to clean Christ. it after. Every single time. And it takes, like, 30 minutes. He scrubs it. Sometimes the crazy brain takes over. He I'm not going to fault him for that. I'll tell you what, though. Oh, it didn't make him hit his fucking wife. Didn't make him hit his child bride. That had nothing to do with that. Yeah. Yeah, it had nothing to do with that one. Yeah. No. And that's the thing. I think he really expected her to just conform to what he wanted and be like, like, what did he want from her? What did he want out of this marriage? Did he even have any idea? A vague emotional mirage. Right. And before he ever got married, he would say on talk shows, I don't think I'm ever going to get married. Like, I don't see myself ever... Like, who would want to marry me? Yeah. But then he ends up getting married three times. And it's almost like he falls. He he would love the courting process. He loves the idea of falling in love, being infatuated. This person is my angel. This I don't perfect. think we can necessarily take him at his word on a lot of things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I take him at his like he's very brazen and sharing. Like, here's the thing here's why but, I did it. But yo, here's the thing. Him. On that show then, the Morton Downey Jr. reboot, his entire persona is different. His entire personality is projected in a different way. He's very defensive during this interview. Well, this he's, he's using... He's using... of one-on-one... -on -one he's also... He's also, like, pointed. Right. Right? Otherwise, we just see him on stage performing. Well, even... even when he's on the talk shows, he's in more of this performer role. Here, it's more of like that, a conversation that, with that, like, the person. That, oh, I'm just little tiny Tim. I'm Chris. I don't know what's happening. That's a fucking persona. Right. No, these are like two men talking where you hear like the real right. tiny Tim. And that real tiny Tim was there when he was 37. 
That's the same fucking guy. Right. That's the same fucking guy. That's not decades and decades and decades of a long, hard life that turned to mean. No, that's a grown ass man. That was a grown ass man then. Mm -hmm. Same fucking dude. Bastard. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm mad. (laughs) I'm fucking pissed at him, man. I hate Tiny Tim. Wow. All right. So after the dissolution of his uh, marriage and family that really he never participated in, he ends up on his ass because his management no longer wants to pay for his hotel rooms anymore. And he can't afford all of this. Like, it turns out he's actually very broke. He's he's really bad at managing his money. So he's even at the height of his career, he's kind of just like perpetually broke or fucked because he's a a mob puppet and all his money. (laughs) He's too, I don't know, silly to know any better. He's too up his own ass. The guys scared him, but they seemed like they wanted to be his friend. Oh, for fuck's sake. They cared about him. Oh, my God. So he just kind of went along with it. This dude needed to do a lot more drugs when he was younger. Yeah. <laughs> like a he lot. He liked to drink. I don't. <laughs> the wrong, I don't wrong think he fucking ever drug. really did drugs. He, he needed to do a, all the drugs that aren't alcohol. Holy right. shit. So he lands back in New York City living with his mother, right back to the, the place that he thought that he'd escaped from. Um, oh, man. Yeah. He's like, what, 39? Um, no, this is like 10 years later. Oh, wow. This is like after his divorce. So probably like late 70s. Okay. Like imagine you are the, your marriage is the second most viewed thing on television ever. Like you're touring all these places. You're one of the most famous people in America, basically. But you're also broke and living with your mom. He made a deal with the devil. Yeah. 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 That's a bargain. If I ever heard it, dude, that's that monkey paw shit. That's that monkey paw shit in action. Holy fuck. Right. So he's back living with his mom. He's desperate to remain relevant. So in 1980, he releases a song called Tiptoe to the Gas Pumps (laughs) in response to the gas crisis. What? Which leads to another pity appearance on The Tonight Show, but not a return to stardom. Oh, my God. Here's Tiptoe to the Gas Pumps. Oh, no. This is like... This is this is like a modern QAnon pivot. Is is Jim Caviezel the modern day Danny Depp? I don't even know who that is. Oh, he played Jesus, oh. and then uh, fucking that ballad asshole in um, the child sex trafficking movie that was made by oh, had, excellent, that was made by sex traffickers. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mister Gasoline Man, please give me some gas. My tank is almost empty, so fill it fast. If you will just fill her up, I promise you this. I'll put a tulip in your hair and blow you a kiss. Let's tip down to this pond. Fill her up. Yup. God, so... He's living in, in New York City with his mom. June 1984... He gets married to his second wife. Every yeah. Tim I've ever known is one of the finest human beings. Well, he's this really man is no Herbert. true Tim. This is a Herbert. Yeah, this is a Herbert disguised as a Tim. Yeah. So Jan, wife number two, they had met in 83 at this place called Williams Club, situated between Times Square and Grand Central Station. She was an aspiring singer. She was 23. 
Tiny 52. Oh, damn it. And following their very short courtship came the Las Vegas wedding. And then they did a, a follow-up wedding at a synagogue, like for her parents. And after their wedding came a, a 10-year-long period of estrangement, despite being married. A very weird oh, marriage. Oh, wow. They never lived together. And by all accounts, she was pretty uninterested in her husband, other than the status being married to him afforded her. Why did she stay in the marriage? Well, Tiny kind of led her to believe that he had a fortune stashed away somewhere. And wh mm -hmm. why did he stay in the marriage? Well, divorce is a sin, so... These are all... These people are all fucked up. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> what the fuck? At one point, like, Miss Jan, as he would call every single woman he met, like, Miss whatever their name is. Ah. Miss Jan met with Donald Trump, and he, like, got all insecure that she wants Donald Trump, not me. Um, Ew. Yeah. Oh. Now, despite his married status, he would continue being an unrepentant horn dog, although he tried not to be. Here's what would happen when Tiny would bring a girl back to his hotel room. He would tell them. Yeah. He would tell them that it was against God's laws for them to have sex, and that absolutely under no circumstances was that going to happen. I do not wish to go all the way, but perhaps I could give you a massage, he would offer. With one hand, he would pour lotion on the girl's back and begin massaging her. With the other hand, he would grab the... Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> With the other hand, he would grab the Bible. And in dead seriousness and earnestness, he would share with her the religious basis for why fornication, if he was single at the time, or adultery, if he was married at the time, was evil, sinful, and wrong. Well, okay, maybe just a bit of touching and maybe just taking off one pants leg or undoing her bra. Whoa. Believe me, no one was more surprised than Tiny when they actually ended up having sex. Or his Evelyn Wood speed climaxing version of sex anyway. He honestly never ever planned to go all the way. After his quick performance and whatever he could dream up trying to, to try to make up for the woman's or girl's sexual frustration, he would top off the date in a most memorable way. Well, now we have done it. We are both going to hell. I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid you must get dressed. I'm afraid you must get dressed and leave immediately. This was his standard pillow talk line. So much for a hug and a cigarette afterwards. What the poor naked girl would say in belief? <laughs> the devil is among us now. The spirit of lust. You must get out of here at once. I can never see you again, Tiny would declare. We've just slept together and now you're telling me we can never see each other again and throwing me out? What in the hell is the matter with you? It is not that I do not like you. I do. That is precisely the problem. We have just proven that we cannot resist our attraction to each other and I must never see you again. That is the only way I can be sure not to fall into temptation again. Man. It made perfect sense to him. What the fuck? Yeah. So he's just like pulling out the Bible during his hotel hookups. Insane. Uh, Madness. Um... I also didn't include this in the script, but it's interesting. He gets one of his fans calls him on the phone and this fan records their conversation and their conversation gets a little bit racy. Well, it turns out that that fan was 14 years old and that her father found the recording. Oh, my fucking God. There were so many times where like Tiny came so close to like doing something illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just morally fucked up. Or like up, something that would get that. his ass kicked. But like he's, yeah, he's almost 
getting taken off the streets and put where no, he No, but Jesus. But I love Jesus. Fucking hell, man. Yeah. So his mom passes away in 86, and now he's officially orphaned. Um, he acts in a, a slasher movie called Blood Harvest in 87 as like a killer clown. And he kind of like loses his way. He starts yeah. touring with a circus and basically leans into the role of, yep, I'm a has-been star. And this is like pretty much the, the bottom yeah. of his career. Although he does make a few record. He does. He continues to record albums during this time, such yep. as Tiny Tim, the Eternal Troubadour in 1986. And then there was Rock in 1993, mm-hmm. which includes covers of famous rock songs. Oh, it's bad. He did everything he could to remain relevant through the years. Let's listen for just a few seconds. Okay. You're not going to believe this. (sighs) (laughs) What? (laughs) No, please. What? Just a little more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck. How did any of this happen? <laughs> so yeah, he's in this like estranged marriage with Jan, who's like, of course we're not gonna live together. You live with your fucking mom in, oh. in your childhood home with no there's no doors on the bedrooms. I don't want to fucking live there. Um so in the late 1980s and through the 90s, Tiny becomes a feature on the Howard Stern show. I'd like to take Of course a, he did. Yeah, of course he did. I'd like to take a listen to one of his appearances from 1988. And this is 4 years into his marriage with Jan. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if um there's a there's a whole uh, network of child sex traffickers that all go on each other's shows. Do you wonder if yeah, I th- Oh yeah, did, did up Tiny hotels. Did Tiny Tim ever go to Epstein's Island? Seems like he More ran those circles. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I feel like it's probably extremely likely. The the game of love is one of the most hardest games in the world. I mean, love in itself. I, I just thank Jesus Christ for his blessings and helping me. But even with my wife, Miss Jan, she's so beautiful. You know, I, I met her. We got a, a, along together again last night. We went out to. Oh, you uh, did get together. Uh, yeah. Well, but you know what happened? We we, we went out to. Lovely yeah. place out nice there. Nice romantic oh, place. Beautiful yeah. place. Yes. Then she said to me, uh, I, I, can, I mean, I, I love my dog. And I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, visit, I can't visit your hotel unless I bring my dog. Right. And I said, well, darling, as much as I love you, we can't have dogs in the hotel. And even if we could, you know, if that's where it is. You uh, mean it's over a dog? Your whole marriage broke up? Uh, uh, unbelievable. Well, we, we got together again last night. And now it's, uh, now it's she, off she loves again. a dog more than me, apparently. Oh, oh tiny. Honestly. Oh. Fucking hate the Howard Stern show. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, but um, they love having him on as a guest until eventually yeah. there's a falling out because they use Jesus Christ's name in vain and Tiny is just like, I can't. Oh, he's not having it? Yeah, he's not having it. That's his um, But yeah, so <laughs> Jan doesn't want to spend the night with Tiny because she needs to have her dog with her. Like, she's just got a Rolodex of, of excuses. Yeah. For, like, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, this Howard Stern interview is also interesting because we learn a bit about Tiny's habit of making trophies for beautiful women. What? Most of the time, they never even uh, 
see it or receive it. He'll just he let's let's just hear about it. Let's hear about his trophy process. What? It's a strange man. He's an, he's awful. He's a predator. Uh, I, I, I saw, I mean, every beautiful classic I've met throughout the years, I've given trophies to from 63 to, to, women. to, to yeah, to 19. You give trophies to uh, women? I used to give tr trophies out to, from 63 to 69. Trophies? Uh, yeah, what? I used to make them. What was, kind of trophy, though? Well, sometimes they cost about $25. The highest trophy was about $250, $250. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would say, at the end of the year, I'd give it out to most, you know, the beautiful girl who lived in my dream world. Oh, so we each have a dream world. What? And like, uh, uh, it would what, a, what an interesting way to meet a woman. I'm telling you. Uh, you just won a trophy. In my dream world content. <laughs> yeah, you, you are Miss Dream World. And, and it would say, let's say, for example, Miss Snooky, who mm -hmm. won my first trophy in 63. Yes. Uh, she was 18 and said, to beautiful Miss Snooky, the most, <laughs> most beautiful girl of the year, 1963. Really? No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Oh, stop it. And he just, like, the way that he just says these things as if it's completely fucking normal. With <laughs> I mean, it fucking reminds me of a lot of the shit Donald Trump said on the Howard Stern Show, too. Yeah. In, in delivery and familiarity with the subject. I wonder what that's all about. That's fucked. He wants to be like Donald Trump because Miss Jan wants Donald Trump. No, I think so. these are these people are all just no. fucking predators. Um, so Howard then questions Tiny Tim about his marriages. Like, how many have you had? What's the deal with that? Interestingly, he says that he's had three. But as far as I know, at this time, he's only had two legal marriages. So I don't know what he's referring to. But he talks about how he spiritually married a woman just to fuck her. And then they broke up because she didn't want to get married on Australian television. Let's take a listen. He wanted to do the TV marriage again? He didn't. There was a misunderstanding. Okay. Here's the bottom line, girls. Tiny, mm. now, Tiny, you were married, what, four times, two legally? Uh, no, uh, three times, uh, two legally. And what does that mean? Well, I mean, the illegal one... It was in 82. Was this in Haiti, jumping over a broom? <laughs> no, this yeah. was at the Holiday Inn yes. uh, in Hollywood, Florida. I didn't want to have an affair with her before marriage, mm -hmm. and I couldn't have an affair with her because uh, her husband died. She was 25. She had a five-year-old child, mm -hmm. and they take the money away that, you know, uh, if she got married again. Yes. And this is a rare case where I actually get down on my knees, mm -hmm. and I say, you know, uh, my, my mother's Jewish, my father's Catholic, we in Jesus Christ, the answer to life. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I said, if you get down on your knees, I will marry you right here in front of heaven so that we will not have any shocking sin, you know, fool around before marriage. Right. And that's what happened. I see. But then we broke up, though. Lost that loving feeling. <sighs> no, yeah. uh, she uh, was a very excitable woman. Why did she leave you? Uh, we, had a, we had a little argument of terrible argument in September of that same year of 82 and uh, when I came back from Australia. What would somebody argue about with you? I haven't seen you in six weeks. Tonight is my treat in, you know, in bed. In bed, yes. That's you know, wild on you. And I, I said, oh, how wonderful. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Super. 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 Well, great, babe. Yes. She was wonderful to me, and we came to her house. She was and, gentle and loving in uh, bed that night? Well, that kind it, of never happened. it never happened what? because uh, when I put my valise down, they wanted to marry us in Australia. Oh. And have another Johnny Carson show, and she hit the ceiling when she heard that. She said, "You're not going to make me another Miss Vicky." Mm -hmm. I said, "But darling, you don't understand." Boom! That was the end of that. Yeah. 
this man. We're going to stay with the Howard Stern show for just a little bit. I'm longer. like, I am speechless at night, I know. Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Soak I'm it. having a hard time fucking. Soak it. Wow. Do you love that, though? He got spiritually married in heaven before the eyes of God. So that's OK. It's sinless to fuck if you get down on your knees and, and have a spiritual marriage until you try to get her to go on Australian television. And then okay. um, I just want to. Can we hear him talking about cleaning the bathroom? Yeah, absolutely. Just a little break from the disgusting yeah. love stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, the reason I, uh, you know, if I may say, I don't want anything from these people. I don't want something, no prize or anything. Right. But I really say I'm disappointed with the Comet Cleanser. Right. In fact, I sent, you're the first one to hear this. Uh, it was, happened a year ago. Yes. I sent a, a mailgram under another name to Procter & Gamble mm -hmm. saying how disturbed I was that they changed the formula of Comet. Now it can't scratch anymore. And I think a good cleanser has to scratch in the bathtub. Oh. And, and what I, are you, I, slaughtering I, sheep in the tub or what? I mean, what do you, what do you mean by scratch? I don't understand. Yeah. Well, uh, they, made the, they made Comet more smoother. It's yes. got to be abrasive. Abrasive, I understand. That's, so you dropped, that's right. you dropped using Comet. Right, and now I either... So Howard gets the bright idea that while we have Tiny on the air, let's do a dial-a-date. Let's have people call in, even though, again, he's four years into his marriage with Jan. And he just saw Jan last night. Yeah. They just slept together the night before. They're going to have dates call in and they're going to have Tiny like... Well, I, don't, I don't think they did because she loved her dog more than him. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. Here's, uh, here's the people calling in for the dating game. Hello? Yes, hello. Oh, now wait a second, you sound very young. Hello? Is that, yes. a, is that correct? Am I young? Yes. Yes. How old are you? Uh, 22. Well, Tiny, that's certainly interesting. Maybe she could have the body of a nine-year-old. <laughs> she sounds nice. Are you fucking kidding me? Cup. You have a C cup? Are you well, fucking kidding me? He's more interested in a face. Tiny's a little shocked at that. <laughs> right, Tiny, why are you so shocked? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, well, it's so lovely, the lady to describe... Her breasts. The other attribute she has. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, I appreciate her yes, frankness. Yes. Uh, now, of course, you are 22. You do not have fleas, is that correct? Oh, no, no. And you, do you use an abrasive cleaner? Um, I, I, I have Comet in my bathroom. Well, the old Comet or, or the, the, new well, the new Comet? Um, just the old Comet. Oh, very good. How did you get it? How I like you... it when it turns blue. How did you get the old Comet? Well, I have a big supply of it. Hmm. Excuse me, uh, 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 I think you might be using Ajax. Ajax turns blue. I don't think Comet turns blue at Ooh, all. Caught her, huh, Tiny? Uh-huh. You know, Tiny uh, will uh, catch uh, you uh, in a lie every time. No, I admit that. Don't be a wise ass with yeah. your, uh, clean, your clean... You try to fucking lie to him about bathroom cleaning products, don't you dare. Um, I wouldn't try that. But yeah, the whole dial-a-date thing is constantly jokes about how he likes underage women. Eventually, so around 34 minutes in... A 16-year-old calls in, and they're very conflicted about whether or not it's legal to allow her to participate. Like, they think it would be really funny if she could. So they yeah, pull that's... out the rule book, and, like, this girl... Yeah, because you need a fucking rule book to determine if you should do that. Yeah. Fuck you. Um, She swears that her father says it, he would be okay with it. Fuck you, Howard Stern. So... Holy shit. They talk about allowing her to participate on the grounds that... Like, as long as one of her parents chaperone her on the date, it's legal for her to participate or so. And the fact that they even, like, let it be a question is just Yeah, it's, it's un unbelievable.
it's fucking unconscionable that they that that was ever something you could consider doing. Yeah. So that's on the radio in 1988. And, you know, people are just eating it up. Uh, Mm. it's, It's fucking gross. And while he may not have met like the love of his life on that Howard Stern show, yeah, Tiny did meet someone else who would end up being very important to him in 1988, that same year. The Eternal Princess. Oh, no. Yeah. What? I'm now introducing a track called Tiny Tim Meets the Eternal Princess off his album called Songs of an Impotent Troubadour, which what is the a, a joke on his Eternal Troubadour yeah. album. Yeah. It's a 36-track album of pure madness. And if you're thinking that the Eternal Princess refers to Jan or, like, you know, Miss Vicky, you're sorely mistaken. It does not. Of the many love-themed songs on this album, none of them are about Jan. Again, 36 tracks. There are tracks about Elizabeth Taylor, Jessica Hahn, some girl named Ellie, another one named Judy, none for Jan. Cool. Before we listen to the track, I'm going to tell you the story of the Eternal Princess. From childhood, Tiny knew that he was going to someday meet the most perfect, most beautiful woman. And when he did, she would be known as the Eternal Princess. And while there were many trophy girls, many beautiful classics, as he called them, which I find hysterical. It's disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful classics. It's so old fashioned. Disgusting. There was only one Eternal Princess, and Tiny finally met her in 1988 during an appearance at Club Dada in Dallas, Texas. That was the day when Dallas Music Maven and 14 Records store owner Bucks Burnett introduced Tiny to a woman named Stephanie Bond, who really wanted to meet him, have him sign her ukulele. Um, Bucks Burnett, he also ran the Mr. Ed fan club that included a lot of like famous rock stars. Yeah. Yeah, It's like ironic. But also, they're probably fans of Mr. Ed. Bucks Burnett went on... What? A lot of people were. Oh, yeah. Are. Will be again. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) It's time for Mr. Ed to make a comeback. I think so. Bucks Burnett would go on to become Tiny's manager and produce a couple albums with him, including the one we're about to get a taste of. So that's enough of an introduction. The Eternal Princess is Stephanie Bond. Okay. And this, this track feels more like a voicemail left by someone having a nervous breakdown than anything that belongs anywhere near a studio album. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to suffer through the entire thing. I must say now, of all the recordings, this will pay the price for everything. But in 1988... It's four minutes and 30 seconds. The Eternal Princess, Miss Stephanie Bond, came into my life soul. Now, as I said before, but for those I'm recording who never heard it, I cannot thank Jesus Christ enough for giving me great parents, great career, so many better talents never made it, giving me all these wonderful things, a great historical wedding, but to meet the eternal princess. Most people go through life settling in a marriage. I have both women, Miss Jan and Miss Vicky. Thank you, Christ is blessing. Miss Jan and Miss Vicky were what I wanted. I never married to get married. No matter how it happened, Miss Jan and Miss Vicky both had 
the looks I wanted and fit into my dream world. Now, I want to state to those listening that, sure, beauty is only skin deep, but as Bud Abbott and Lucas Tello said in Real Rita, I'm no cannibal. And I can honestly say that it is the heart of a woman, not the looks. As Red Barber, may rest in peace, the great sportscasters for the Dodgers said, look for kindness in a woman. That's the ultimate thing. And he's right. I've got to have, I've got to have that princess. Not because I may be ugly looking or anything like that, because I dream. My dreams have no color or no uh, boundaries. And I dream of youth and beauty. And when I say youth, this is no sex maniac tape here. I always ask their fathers if I can take them out. What the Nothing fuck? goes on, I have a higher source to answer to. It's just to a doll look and whatever. What There's the fuck? There's nothing wrong in finding a beautiful angel who has the heart and the kindness of an average girl. What the it fuck? May be hard to find. <laughs> But it's still there. I and hate I will you not so much. For second best. Yep. I hate you so much. Of course, so we all have our eccentricities. I like to, as you know, uh, after each shower, every day of the week, I haven't missed a shower since December 20th, 1989. Uh, basically, except one day in the flood, basically, I always usually wipe with bouncy towels. Or uh, right now, I love Job Squad. Anyway, but going back to this. So what the fuck are you talking about? Stephanie. It happened through Mr. Burnett right? at the same Donna Club, May 19th, 1988. <coughs> That's the greatest transformation. That in itself is life itself. To have found the eternal princess, which I never looked for, what makes her so different in fantasy only, whether it's so in reality or not, only the law knows and she knows and the shadow knows. <laughs> Terrifying. Oh, yeah. Boy, yes. I tell you, if I were only the shadow. <laughs> I tell you, gee, I tell you, I tell you, only the shadow knows <laughs> what this fantasy is. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? It's a reference to an old comic book, pray, The Shadow Boat. Jesus Christ. You know, and, you know, uh, I prayed, oh Lord, if I ever get to heaven, I pray, uh, take thy name in vain, oh great Yahweh God of Israel through Jesus Christ, oh Lord, if I ever get to heaven, I pray you will make me another Miss Stephanie. You're not getting to heaven, bro. And like you make a million tulips, a million roses, a million grains of sand. You can make another one of her. And this time, this time, put the grace and spirit in her to love me. You got a little like, forget, you know, in this world. You're not getting into heaven, bro. Yeah, because you see, Stephanie Bond, she might have been cast as the eternal princess. Yeah. And she accepted it gracefully, but she did not want his romantic advances. She was just his friend. So... Regardless of her rejections, however, his love for her would not die through his second and third marriages. Like, she was always his forever love. He saw him and her as being married in heaven together. So, like, even though he had other loves on Earth, 
that was his heavenly wife, you know, because the other woman, they got divorced after the Australian TV thing. Yeah. Now Stephanie's the spiritual wife, but she's also the eternal princess. So she's very special. I want to <laughs> that track. Holy shit. None of this is so fucked up. Let's get books. Burnett's telling of the story of Tiny meeting the eternal princess. Like, let's hear a. He didn't meet it. He made up some shit in his head. Yeah. Meeting like, Stephanie. Like, just, just fucking about uh, that she's worthy to give a fucking trophy of. What was her personality like? What she, why? Right. What is this? Jesus fucking Christ. Known for being a bit of a fucking romantic myself. You oh, know when no. I fall for people? Because I think they're cool as shit. Not because <laughs> I want to give them a trophy. She's a young lovely. It's fucked. She's a beautiful angel. I hate this. It's such a romanticization. Like, it's not, it's not real. No, it's not real. He just sees a fantasy reflected in every single face of every single pretty girl. Yeah. And it represents, like, everything that he's not and can never be, which is, like, elegant, lovely, just adored for being beautiful. Because everybody looks at him and they're like, ugh. Yeah. And I think that there is, like, this weird fantasy of he's locked into how no woman ever looked at him until he had some amount of fame. So he never, like had any experiences as a teenager he's like locked into this adolescent mindset and at this very childlike mindset too like well, it's like he, it's like he took all his intrusive thoughts for being the voice of god right and that and didn't realize that they're intrusive thoughts and not actually his yeah and not good right it's also like he's a bunch of different people too like there's the performer side of himself yeah and then there's also like when he was in social settings, he would go in and out of different voices, too. And, like, all of a sudden, he would become very buoyant. And he would even say things in his jovial voice, like, Ha-ha, I can't stop acting. I'm an actor. I'm acting. I'm acting. Yeah. And it's like, okay, he's, yeah. whoa. <laughs> but it's almost like he can't help himself. And we can't. Right. It, no, OCD is a disease of control. Yeah. It's, it's, path, it's a pathologic, it, the, well, it's a very mechanical disorder. But the actual mechanics of it are really simple. It's usually the glutamate system, mm -hmm. which is responsible for, among other things, motor movement and shit like that. Messages going all over the brain. It's a glutamate's the blunt instrument of neurotransmitters. Right. Right. It's extraordinarily powerful. But OCD is also called the doubting disease. Right. And it is. It's very hard to explain, but it's it is a disease of control. Mm-hmm. And the way to the worst one of the really hard things about ocd that uh is just now starting to be not so much of a fucking life sentence is that because of the the way that it works you get just the worst fucking anxiety from not giving into whatever compulsion or or what have you mm -hmm. when you do you don't feel that very physically painful feeling but every time you do that it's cutting the groove deeper and deeper into your thought process right, right. like his thing of um doing the oh i'm being so sinful i need to read the bible but then that 
in itself becomes an act of foreplay. Yes. Where every single time it's almost like that is sex because by the time that's over with yeah. and the touching actually happens, boom, it's off. So it's almost like the act of him praying and like trying to resist it. Like, oh, I don't want to be sinful. Like that's yeah. he's done that so many times that now that's locked in and embedded with his sexuality. He cannot separate the two. And the true like core problem there is an inability to release control on anything mm -hmm. you start trying to micromanage every inch of your soul you're fucked and that's the sort of hellscape that like untreated ocd turns into yeah is is and it that doesn't mean that you because the thing is like so many people with ocd are afraid that they're a bad person in some way and there's no higher instance of them being bad people right the fact that Tiny Tim is also a bad person yeah. is not reflective of the disease itself. Mm -hmm. He just happens to be a bad person too, right? And probably has a lot of other comorbidities, had a fucked up childhood, all, all this shit. You oh, know, yeah. it's never one thing, right? But I'm looking at this dude on the fucking... Morton Downey Jr. On Morton Downey, and he's moving all over the place and shit. I mean, that is a brain with the sympathetic nervous system just jacked the fuck up mm -hmm. constantly over decades. And this dude just never learned how to not give in to that. Yeah. He was just there the entire fucking time. Yep. Right? When I was 12, I uh, realized that it was real fucked up that, like, if I brushed my left foot against a, a doorway, that I would have to turn around and brush the same spot in my right foot against the same fucking doorway or I would yeah. feel wrong forever. I recognized at that point that that's not God telling me that, that that's something very wrong and I need to not do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I never, like, I was only ever had very much manageable ocd that's still fucking wrecked relationships and shit right right but like yeah if you don't just stop doing that that's where that you go fucking nuts dude thinking you're a squirrel eating walnuts <laughs> christ <laughs> or thinking that you're on an eternal search looking for the woman who will take that spot in your dream world yeah yeah yeah, but so that's just like a storyline that's running all the time Yeah, that you can keep alive, a fantasy that's like never fulfilled or it could possibly be fulfilled in the face of every single pretty woman that you see. Like, yeah. Is this love? Is this love? I guess I should say on that. I'll talk about it when we talk about the, the fucking tarot card. Yeah. So this is Bucks Burnett talking about Tiny Tim meeting Stephanie Bond. And in Dallas, I booked him to play a show it was May 19th, 1988. And after the show, 20 or 30 people came backstage to meet Tiny. Stephanie was just one. She waited in line. And he met her, signed her grandfather's ukulele. They chatted for quite a bit. The next day, I got a phone call from Tiny saying, Mr. Burnett, you've done it, you've done it. Introduced me to the Eternal Princes. I was like, what? He said, your friend, Miss Stephanie. She very soon was made aware of her status as the Eternal Princes. And she kind of took it somewhat seriously. She wanted him to feel honored, not rejected, nor was she going to make a romantic ovation, and, and, but a, a nice friendship blossom. I used to love Jessica Hahn, oh yes, but now I love Stephanie, sweet, sweet Stephanie. Now I love Stephanie Bond. Oh, yeah. What the fuck is wrong with you, Tim? Um... So his limerent obsession with Stephanie would end up blowing up both his friendship with Bucks Burnett and the album that they'd been working on for two years. Here's uh, Bucks talking about that. We knew this was a long-term project, but we thought we'd have it done in maybe three years. And then about two years in, 
Connie stopped speaking to me. He had become so enamored of Miss Stephanie that because I introduced him to her and that he could not separate me from her or her from me in his mind. How can I even do anything with you when she's in front of us? And I'm sorry that you are that you have to be by fate the sacrificial lamb. What? She must be mine. She must be mine. Oh. Not in this world, in the world to come. After three years of complete silence and us giving up on the project, he just called me out of the blue one day and laid it down for me that it was just too much. He ended up coming to Dallas. We all met in Denton and work was allowed to continue. Then in 1996, uh, out came his last album produced by myself and Brave Combo Girl on Rounder Records. Tiny and I kind of became friends again, but it was never quite the same. And at times, Tiny would just burst into anger and call me, accusing me of using Stephanie to control him. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Huh. I'm speechless. Yeah. So they continue working together. They did end up um, completing two albums, the first being The Impotent Troubadour, you know, that 36-track one. But their friendship was never the same like he said sometimes he would just receive angry calls out of nowhere yeah it's amazing i haven't heard this dude talk about his fucking art once well i didn't really include that this is about his love life all right fair enough, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. <laughs> um so yeah the first album that they completed together was the impotent troubadour the second his last ever album 1996 titled girl okay after seven grueling years girl was released I, I would like us to hear the eponymous song from the album, okay. please. Is there anybody gonna listen to my story All about a girl who came to stay She's the kind of girl you want so much It makes you sorry Still you don't regret a single day How does he have a career? How the fuck does he still have a career? At this point, I understood the novelty in the 1950s. Because he's still a novelty. As long as he's around, he, now he's just an old novelty. He's a predator. Yeah. Disgusting fuck. So, Bucks Burnett, um, he ended his own life. I guess he, he'd been struggling with bipolar disorder and addiction. So, oh. that's very tragic. And I, I just include that information as a reminder that we need to be looking out for each other. Because life is short and often lonely. Friends don't let friends produce Tiny Tim. It's true. But it is true. Yeah. Life is short and often lonely. Look out for your people. So back to the marriage with Jan. Because, um, yeah, that's that happened. Well, <laughs> now he's obsessed with Stephanie Bond. <sighs> um, the closest thing that I have to a portrait of his marriage to Jan was included in Stephen Plim's book in a chapter titled Till Death Do Us Part, Take Two. And it describes this chapter where, like, Tiny is hosting a, a WWF event in New York. What? Of course. Of course. It's the same crowd. Right. Fucking. Mm. You know, he likes to be in there. He likes to get wrestled. Dude, you know what crowd I'm talking about? I do. It's fucking Howard Stern, the goddamn wrestlers, the last president of the United States. These all fucks. 
<laughs> fucks, dude. He's fucked. Yeah. So he's going to be hosting this WWF event, and he's very worried that Jan's going to show up because she lives in New York City. And he's like, oh my God, what if she shows up? And she does. Yeah. And it's like, it just paints this portrait of how they're very estranged from one another. Their divorce gets announced in the Tiny Tim Times in April 1994. Why? Why does that exist? He's got a very active fan club. Who the fuck? <laughs> a I'm lot of people. Now I'm going to fucking say, really? A lot. Dude, okay. What is wrong Tiny with Tim me? Times, April 1994. Miss Jan seeks divorce. This Good. year marks the 10th anniversary of Tiny Tim's marriage to his second wife, Jan. But on March 15th, Miss Jan formally announced that she wants a divorce. In an exclusive interview, Tiny Tim told the Tiny Tim Times about this recent development. <laughs> she called me less than an hour ago and said to me, we'll soon have our divorce, dear. And I said, I beg your pardon. And she said, yes, I think we should get our divorce to avoid the expenses that the lawyers are going to charge. Well, I said to her, look, I am not getting a divorce. I did not give one to Miss Vicky, and I am certainly not going to give you one. When Miss Vicky filed for divorce in 1977, I was living in Florida at the time and couldn't afford to come up and contest it. So the state of New Jersey gave her the divorce, not I. If Miss Jan wants to send me a subpoena... She can go ahead and send it. But I am not giving her a divorce, because once I divorce her, she can say, See, no matter what the reason, he quit. Besides, as you wrote in the last issue, if I can't be true to Miss Jan, then I can't be true to Miss Stephanie or anybody else. If she wants a divorce, she'll have to let the state of New York give it to her. Tiny continued his diatribe by comparing his wife to an old song. You know, Miss Jan reminds me of a song called, What do you do Sunday, Mary? Mary, you have not been so kind. Mary, there's something on my mind. Gladly would I believe you, dearest, if I but knew all of the things you do. What do you do on Sunday? What do you do Monday, Mary? Now I could insert Miss Jan's name in place of Mary, because these are, these are the same questions I've been asking since 1984. <laughs> Tiny Tim Times. Like, good. Good fucking God. Yep. So now we're approaching the end of Tiny's life. We're very close. He to is it. dead. Oh yeah. Good, 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 good. I was, I was, I was wondering about that. I was going to ask. He's dead then. Yes, good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, good. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No. <laughs> fuck him. Yeah. No, fuck him. I. <clears throat> yeah. I'm not going to say what I would have said if he wasn't dead yet. <laughs> so, meanwhile, as he's still married to Miss Jan at this time in 1994 and he's met Stephanie Bond. There's also another woman who had become important to Tiny Tim. Her name was Miss Sue. Miss Sue. Okay. Now Miss Sue had always felt like an alien her entire life and when she saw Tiny Tim on television when she was a girl, she thought, "Oh my god, there's somebody from the same planet as me." Fucking predator piece of shit. Chameleon yeah. ass motherfucker. She goes to meet him when he's going to be like in her area with her boyfriend. And she says that when they met, he looked like a stuffed animal who had been played with too much. That's exactly what he looks like. And a turtle 
who had been born with no shell. Holy shit. That's exactly a stuffed animal that's been played. Oh my God. I thought that was fucking savage. Yeah. It's so true too. Yeah. It's brutal. Fuck yeah. <laughs> but you know what? She fucking loved him. She had been obsessed with him by from like 12 years old. And when she met to meet, she went to meet him with her boyfriend. Like they had dinner with him. This poor fucking guy. Um, yeah. And her boyfriend was like, after the dinner, he was like, so you're in love with this guy, huh? <laughs> She's like, yeah, that's the man for me. And she wasn't expecting it because by this time, like, he was old. Yeah. <laughs> but Jesus Christ. So, and so begins his romance with um, Miss Sue, who would end up becoming his third wife. But before we we talk about her a little more. Yeah. Tiny Tim, he released a Christmas album in 1996, too, oh. with songs from the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. Oh, um, man. As well as this very disorienting 14-second track. off right there it doesn't, it's what the fuck reviews of this album were surprisingly good okay yeah so when sue met tiny his health was not doing well at all he was diabetic but ate what he wanted and ate and ate <laughs> he was not very tiny at all at, at all point. yeah and on top of that he was also very broke Whatever he carried in his wallet on that given day was how much money he had. Nothing in savings whatsoever. But that didn't matter to Miss Sue because her family was loaded. Now, okay. Mr. Plim yeah. first heard about Sue when Tiny called him up one day to ask permission to bring a girl he had met to a party. Are you fucking kidding me? I think there's a lot of Tiny Tim's life we're not hearing about. <laughs> yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Okay, here we go. Tiny, if she's 18, bring her. I shot back. If she's under 18, you'd better ask her parents, okay? Tiny said nothing. I knew he was there because I could hear him breathing. Just messing with you, pal. I laughed. Bring her, man. Who is she anyway? What's she like? Give me the lowdown. There was a long, long pause before he started whispering to me in a confidential voice. She's a little different, Tiny confided. Her family is very wealthy. He went on extolling the attractive features of her bank account, the lovely curves of the cars they drove, the gorgeous sensual carpets and sofas in her home. Just like any guy in love. I replied, Tiny, way to go, baby. Found a pot of gold, did you? By all means, bring the broad along, bring the broad along to the party. I was half teasing, but only half. No, no, it's not like that, Mr. Plim, but I cannot talk now. Thank you so much for inviting her. We will see you tonight. And we can talk more then. By the way, her name is Miss Sue. Yeah, so Miss Sue gets brought along to the party, and here's Stephen Plim's impression of her. Looking at Miss Sue, I have to say I didn't get it. On the outside, she was nothing like the girls that usually flipped tiny switch. She was plain-looking, frighteningly thin, but she didn't wear a drop of makeup. She reminded me of the Earth Mother-type girls I knew in the 60s. They came inside, and Tiny introduced her around, and all I kept thinking was, Her? Her? Why her? What did he see in her? Could it really be all about the dollar signs, as I suspected? Actually, they were quite a pair. Tiny, with his obsessions about germs, and Miss Sue, seemed to be plagued by every allergy and physical nuisance known to man or woman, and didn't mind sharing her annoying ailments with the party guests. 
I managed to corner Tiny without anyone noticing and asked, So what's the dirt on Miss Sue? What's really going on here, pal? Yeah. And so when Miss Sue... When Sue... <laughs> I'm not falling in yeah, to the Tiny Tim reality tunnel it. where yeah, we refer to that. women as, as Miss whatever. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah. Um, Get, keep them out of your head. <laughs> <laughs> when... Sue and Tiny talked on the phone before they like met up for dinner. <clears throat> he asked her like, "Are you pretty and thin?" And she was like, "Uh, yeah, sure, yeah. I guess." But she knew. She was yeah. like, "No, I'm actually pretty homely." And when they met up, she was like, "I could tell." He was looking at me like, mm, "This woman is not very attractive." But let me see where this goes. And by the middle of the dinner, he was looking at her, and she was like. I could tell he was sizing me up and thinking, mm, yeah, she's a little cute if I look at her for a while. God. And I'm like, oh, man, Sue, what happened to you? What happened to us? What happened to us? <laughs> well, she she was pretty much Tiny Tim's biggest fan because as a kid, her bedroom walls were lined with photos of him. And she had albums of newspaper clippings, photographs with kiss marks of them. Like I don't understand. Kiss marks on them. I don't understand. <laughs> yep. So even though she wasn't um, a beautiful classic, yeah. she represented security in every single regard because uh. her dad was a wealthy businessman. So, you know, he, Tiny no longer needed to worry about ending up homeless on the street. Right. And also she was absolutely crazy about him which she couldn't really say of his other wives like she was actually full in in love with him and in addition wow. to being a wife she doubled as a nurse and a pharmacologist desperately trying to get his health in order and while tiny had his depends she had her surgical masks that she would wear in public to ward off germs so they're you know ahead of her time they both had their little germ quirks yeah she might not have been his heavenly bride stephanie bond but she was like an angel to him and an answer to all his prayers most of the time he didn't see it that way though and he would yell at her things like don't you ever order me around woman especially when she got on his case about drinking beer or the fact that he didn't need to work so hard anymore because she could now just support him like why don't you relax your health is bad like Stop performing so much. Yeah. Of course, before tying the knot, he was worried that he wouldn't be able to sexually satisfy his bride, and that would be the thing that left him penniless, <laughs> homeless perhaps. You know, if he couldn't sexually satisfy her, yeah. she divorced him. Well, fuck, what now? Now he's like an old sick man with nothing. Luckily, he figured out a, a hack. He started using Origel. His penis was reborn. He uh, bought hundreds of bottles. What is what is that? It's like a numbing gel. Uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Now, his other hesitation in getting married to her was that people might think that he's only after her for her money. He thought, like, you know, what? her family probably thinks that I'm, like, I'm old, I'm broke, I'm out of shape, I must just be using her. But still, you know, she's absolutely yeah, crazy about him, and they're not... You're they a disgusting lump of slime. Yeah. He should have accepted that a long time ago. Well, they got married and promised to stay together for the rest of their days, which wouldn't be a lot of days. Tiny entered semi-retirement, but continued to perform at a few gigs and while participating in a ukulele festival at Montague Grange Hall in Massachusetts, September 1996. 
he would collapse on stage. Fuck yeah. I included a clip. This isn't him dying. This is... Oh, no. Shit. Shortly before, though. If you hear any coughing during the show, well, it's because, uh, you know... Oh, fuck. Oh, yeah, he went down. Straight down. Straight front down. Wow. Yep. So he spends several weeks in the hospital recovering from this. He's diagnosed with congestive heart failure. The doctors are like, dude, you really shouldn't be performing. But he continues performing. In June 1996, People magazine, he says, I'll go down to the grave always trying. Trying what? The fuck are you trying, sir? Keep the people entertained. God damn you. And he did. He died from cardiac arrest after performing tiptoe through the tulips at a benefit sponsored by the Minneapolis Women's Club on November 30th, 1996. What? Yep. Really? According to Sue, she was across the room and she could like sense that he wasn't okay. And she mouthed like, are you okay? And he like shook his head no. And so she ran up. And as soon as she got there, he just collapsed like into her arms. Right after playing tiptoe through the tulips. Yep. And that man made a pact with something bad. It's funny because that's the song that's featured in um, the horror movie Insidious, which yeah. is about like demons and like astral yeah, realms, the dreamland, the fucking dream world. Yeah, 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 dude. That's odd. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't fucking know, <laughs> I didn't expect know, it dude. to take a, a dark turn like that. That's like the song. Yeah. That's the emblematic song. Right. Dude. Who's the demon from that movie? That's fucking... See, that tariff, that spins up my OCD. (laughs) Yes. The demon is seen sharpening his claws while listening to Tiny Tim's tiptoe through the tulips from a bronze phonograph. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. It's not a named... It's just like the red-faced demon. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Indeed. Temperance? So, te- yeah, temperance is interesting in this case. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think it refers to first? The thing that he couldn't achieve. It's, you know? Yeah. Like, to me, it, it's a card that represents, like, I don't know, every single thing that he did wrong. Yeah, 100%. And, well, there's, okay, so... I I feel like I have two interpretations. One's like a more uh, idiosyncratic mm-hmm. one, but the sort of regular interpretation is: I mean, the angel has one foot on land, one foot in water, mixing oil and water. You can see that as it's often interpreted as finding a balance, but it's more than that, right? It's um, it's the middle way. It's the middle path. Mm-hmm. Right, which is a different thing than finding a balance, than balancing two extremes. Do you know? Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In like the Western Hermetic Kabbalah interpretation, it's the path from uh, Yesod to Tifereth. It's the card associated with Sagittarius, and also the card associated with you know the middle pillar on the Tree of Life, uh, the card of Achieving knowledge and conversation with the Holy Guardian Angel. It's the brutal pathway to do that. Um, 
so there's there's some interesting things. One is like Tiny Tim walked no path of no middle path in his life, right? Yeah, he was very much um, unbalanced towards both Netsock and Hode, right? Towards beauty and luxury, mm-hmm. beauty, luxury, and art, and towards meticulousness, neuroticism, planning, yep. all that, right? Yeah. There, so one interpretation is that the temperance is a is showing what the car, what the warning, the parable of Tiny Tim, what morals the parable of Tiny mm-hmm. Tim is trying to teach us through watching this man turn into a puddle of slime. Yeah. Right. Uh, as an idiosyncratic interpretation, temperance has shown up for me a lot this past year, and. I I heard uh, the episode of Weird Studies talking about the card temperance, in which they related it to another thing that deeply fascinated me this past year, cybernetics, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the ways in which I've been like trying to MK Ultra myself into becoming the Superman is, <laughs> see, that's, that's, that's part of this too, I'll get that, through taking a cybernetic approach to my life. Through sort of embracing, oh yeah, I'm that psychopath that is just needs to think about things in terms of systems and shit. Totally. But that sort of cybernetic approach to your life is very different than the approach of being attached to dreams and outcomes. Right. Right? It's a way for a fucking psychopath like myself to stay focused in the moment, stay focused on the present, not having expectations about things and shit. Mm-hmm. Because, yo, like, I very much understand having a present dream world, right? Like a present fantasy world in your cognition. Mm-hmm. That can be a fucking superpower, dude. That can be an insane superpower. That whole, like, the whole OCD thing in general can be an insane superpower if you figure out how to harness it. Because like I said, you have access to all of the hard drive instantaneously, but also it has access to you. Like, it can overwhelm and, de- and destroy you. Right. Um, temperance is... If, if It's about, like, building the fucking machinery inside yourself that assists you in staying on the middle path. Right. Accepting your own weirdness, not using it as a shield, a shell. Because, like, his first fucking mistake was just never being vulnerable. And never being vulnerable at all. I don't this, know. I also think he was hyper-vulnerable. Well, not really. Not really. He created the shell of the, the, the character that got the milkshakes thrown right, at him. Right, Tiny Tim. That is... Like, who was Herbert? Right, exactly. What did his wives call him? He was fine. Did they call him Tiny? Right. Like, what the fuck name did they refer to him as? Yeah, like, the, the, the character of the punching bag is a, is a shield from the thing that he's really scared about. Right. Like, and Miss Vicky might have married, like, Herbert. Yeah. You know? After that, Herbert like, was gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, by the time Miss Sue got him, like, that was fully Tiny Tim. Like, she uh, sh- most certainly, that was that's Tiny Tim to her. Yeah. Yeah, because at a certain that's point... That's the man that she grew up seeing on TV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at a certain point, when you're micromanaging your personality and you're micromanaging all this shit to not say the wrong thing because people, someone will fucking hit you probably. You, you forget how to be a fucking embodied animal. You know? Mm-hmm. You're... And it's Weasley and it's, it's, it's predatory and it's, uh, it's not good. It's, it's probably a consequence of many things also, but it's still not good. 
Yeah, Tiny Tim is a lot of shit gone very wrong. <laughs> Got some interesting music out of it, though. Did we? Yeah. Interesting. It's something. I don't know. I'm not a fan. Well, you'll uh, hear the track that I'm going to play us out on. I'm sure I will. <laughs> Jesus Christ, why did you do this to me? Folks, if you like what we do, <laughs> if you enjoyed this, we do have a Patreon. We do. And for just $5 a month, you can get bonus episodes, our bonus series, the Corkboard Bazaar. You get access to our Discord server. Um, we're going to be doing a Twin Peaks watch along starting in uh, February. I'd like to, hopefully. I've got some shit going on right now that i got to see through, but I'd like to start that in um, maybe coinciding with February the 24th because you know, we're always doing cool stuff. Also, please give us a rating and review. Tell your friends. Follow us on all the bullshit. And, I don't know, let's go dig up Tiny Tim and piss on his skull. You can't. He's entombed. Break down that door. <laughs> <laughs> no. Then the movie Blood Harvest will come true. Oh, no. He'll come back as a clown ghost. Jesus Christ. All right. Let's see what this Start this Start slashing outro. beautiful classics out in college campuses. Jesus. Mr. Tim. Could you tell us about the Antichrist, please? Mr. Bet, I'd love to, and I'd love to state that this is only my opinion, and that today is is January 16th, 1995. Uh... <laughs>